Thank you. Oh, so you're not going to stand there and hold it all night? That's a shame. Good evening, everyone, and welcome to the Adelaide.net user group, proudly sponsored by a Mac. No, DevExpress. Don't move the mouse to the top corner. It turns on the password. So just a quick intro. My name is Paul Usher, and I'm a technical evangelist for DevExpress, who are a Los Angeles-based company. And we specialize in third-party components, helping developers create applications a lot quicker, cleaner looking, and trying to remove some of the rewriting of the wheel. As far as product groups go, we're across all platforms. So it doesn't matter whether you're WinForms, WebForms, MVC, straight HTML JavaScript, there is something for everybody. So we would love you to check out the website. One of the other things is that I'm a Microsoft Azure MVP. And I've spent quite a lot of time traveling around with Microsoft presenting on different aspects of Azure. So when we go through some of the things tonight, it's going to be a good opportunity for you to ask questions and try and cover some things that you may not have had a, a chance to look at previously. And I do know that um, you had a bit of an intro to Azure at one point as well. So before we get started by show of hands, who's already using Microsoft Azure in their development? A couple of people. And when I say using, are we talking virtual machines, web apps, databases? Throw some stuff out at me. Okay. I'm going to go sit down and let this guy do because he's done more than me already. <laughs> so one of the, the big things when people start talking about cloud and obviously questions such as, well, how does it compare with Amazon Web Services? I suppose what we need to think about is what is the cloud? It gets thrown around a lot and if you talk to people out in the street, they start thinking of this imaginary thing up there. There's been some really funny movies about it and in essence, businesses are starting to look and say, well, what is this virtualization? What's this cloud business all about? And if I'm working with a provider that has their own data center, does that mean that my things are in the cloud? And obviously, the answer is yes. Anything that you're not hosting on-prem is going to be a cloud solution. So more and more businesses are turning to the cloud for different reasons. Some of those reasons might be simply to bypass internal infrastructure constraints or limitations. For example, if you're working with a government department and you want to spin up a simple server, there could be a lot of red tape. Any government employees in here? Do I have to? Oh, okay, I'll behave. And I know for a fact in our own dealings that just to get a simple IS box spun up, the tech guys told us it would take 15 minutes after three months of requisitions. Now, when you're working on prototyping software, that's not going to work. So we're concerned to things such as Microsoft Azure to allow us to get prototypes and things done really quickly. In one of the businesses that I run in Brisbane, we do a lot of hybrid work, and I'll talk about some of that tonight, where we use the Azure platform to do all the database hosting, so Azure SQL. We use the websites and web apps for delivering data in a client format, so maybe customers can log on to the client's portal and do things. 
And then we also do a hybrid work back on the desktop. So good old WinForms, but then talking to Microsoft Azure in different ways. One thing that I'm yet, and, and I'm hoping for some maybe feedback and people throwing things from the back as to, I'm not sold on VMs in a sense, when you start looking at costings. Now don't get me wrong, Azure is one of the best commercial solutions for cloud hosting that we've found. There are very few times where you need to be thinking you're spending tens of thousands of dollars just to try and get something deployed. I'll take a quick sidebar here and mention BizSpark. Now, Esther from Microsoft in Sydney is in town. She's running the BizSpark startup tomorrow night at the Innovation Center. And one of the really cool things with BizSpark is if you've got an idea for a startup or you're working with a company that's less than three years old and less than, I think it's a million dollars revenue at the moment, then you are eligible for Microsoft BizSpark. And what effectively that means is that they will give you $200 a month $220 a month credit for your Azure account. What that will relate to is that you can quite happily run your business when it comes to either a VM or websites or back-end databases on Azure for a period of three years at Microsoft's expense. Now say you've got the next killer idea and all of a sudden you need to ramp everything up really, really well, then you can go into something called BizSpark Plus where Microsoft will actually provide, and I'm looking for numbers here, but it's something like $2,000 a month worth of credits for your business during that period. So it's a phenomenal program to get involved with, and I'd be recommending that you go along to the event tomorrow night at the Microsoft Innovation Center. So there's the plug. Now, as far as the, the breadth and depth of Azure, there's something pretty much for everyone. And what we're not gonna try and do tonight is cover everything because it's just too much. Even in the one day camps that are run, it's a high level view as what's, of what's going on. So I thought today that we'd have a quick look through what Microsoft have brought forward when it comes to their cloud offerings and then get in and have a look at some code. Let's have a look at how difficult or not difficult it is to create a web application, to deploy it to Azure, hook up a SQL database, and then look at things like blob storage and then open up for questions. How does that sound? You're all very quiet. Did you, the peak, is it, you need food already or? <laughs> okay, we're not gonna do death by a PowerPoint. Instead, we'll switch over and start having a look. Now, one of the things that Microsoft loves us to do is to show the new Azure portal. And regardless of the feedback that we provide, the number of developers that I talk to that say, I'm not using it, I don't like it. So we will be switching between the current live portal and then the preview. The, the preview one has some really cool features, but at the same time, it's got some quirks. Now, just so that everybody's clear, when it comes to things like government contracts or hosting data in Azure, you're gonna get the question of, is it secure? Is it ratified for use by government? And the short answer is yes. There are plenty of documents available and we've got client, we've, we've actually got the Department of Education and Training in Queensland running multiple projects successfully at, on the Azure system, well, infrastructure. And that includes, they're obviously, now that we've got Australian data centers, that's really good 
But even before that, we were running them out of Southeast Asia. So there should be no fears as far as can it be used in government or deployments where there's particular red tape. As far as creating an Azure subscription, it's a simple quick click through. Jump to azure.microsoft.com, sign up, and within a few steps with a credit card, even though it's a free trial, they won't charge you, you can have access to a trial period. When you actually get to that, I think I have another browser open here, you can end up with the portal. And from the outset, the portal has nothing sitting in there. All items is empty. And you can start to look through all the different things. Now, one of the really cool things about Azure is the consistency in the interface. Whether you're creating a web app, a database, a VM, everything has a consistent look and feel to the configuration. And in this particular portal, as opposed to preview, it's all done with this little button down here called new. Now, if you don't have access to your on-prem servers and you wanted to spin up a new instance of IaaS, it could be quite challenging. Even if you do have access to that, there's a certain step number of configuration options you're gonna to have to go through. Well, with the web apps option here, I can simply click new, choose web app and quick create, and I'm given a few options. Can you see that okay? It's a bit light. Yes, everybody's still breathing out there. So I have to give it a unique URL, which is going to have this .azurewebsites.net extension. Let's see if we can do a simple one for Adelaide test, and it's going to verify that that URL is actually available. Now from the outset, the minute I secure this URL, nobody else can have it, and at any point when this web app is running, you can access it via that simple URL. As we go through and talk about scaling configuration, then yes, we can put custom domains on that. But that original Azure URL will always be available to you. Here I get to select the service plan and the location. Now what I'm gonna do, because I don't have any subscriptions set up in that test account, I'm gonna call them along to a live one. Do the same thing. I should still be able to use the same name because I didn't actually commit it. Adelaide test with an E. Select the service plan, which I have a few, and we'll go with a Australia East and the subscription. Now quite literally, just pressing on that tick, I'm done. My website is now up and running. I can't do it that quickly, even if I'm an administer, administrator on an IS box. And in fact, if I was to click on the link, once we have this little progress bar down here, it's gonna show me that it's still running. And as long as the internet gods are good to me today on my 4G connection, I should be able to click on that link and I'm gonna see the fact that that website is now completely accessible. I thought that was at least worth a clap. Like. Now, come into the dashboard and I get to have a quick look at the health and status of my actual app. We can see any traffic that's come through, any errors, and we can see a whole heap of different options down here. One of the first things that I tend to do is download the publishing profile, because inside that XML file, it's gonna give me things such as the FTP access details and other key information. Because quite literally now, if I wanted to, I could just jump in with an FTP program and start pushing files up there. So it doesn't really care 
It's just a running instance of a web server in the back end. I've not had to do anything difficult, and I could use any number of other products to create a website and push it up, or of course I could jump into the Old Faithful and use Visual Studio. As we take a quick look through some of these things, we've got the ability to monitor in real time what's going on. We can look at any web jobs that have been set up. We can step through the configuration and see how some of the backend things are set up. So here I'm running Framework 4.6, the version of PHP, Java, Python, etc. If I'm wanting to run um, this site as a secure site, then I can upload my SSL. Of course, there's plenty of quick access documents to back how easy some of these things are. I'm not going to bore everybody by doing it. And then I get down to my domain name management. It gives me the option to use a provider to buy domain, or I can come in and say manage. So ADL test isn't the most easy name to remember, azurewebsites.net. So instead I want it to be acme.com, or maybe google.com, but I think that's taken. All you need to do is uh, simply enter the domain name that you want to point to that web app, and Azure will do a test to see whether the DNS records have been set up. So obviously at this point you'd be jumping onto your control panel or whatever software is running in the back end at your ISP, set up the CNAME record or an A record pointing to what it's showing here, which you can't read, uh, it says ADL, um, AW verified mydomainname.com pointing to awverifyadelaidetest.azurewebsites.net. Once that's resolved, my custom domain will be pointing to this domain, and it's really that easy. And of course, you've got support for creating multiple domain names as well. As we keep coming through, there's a number of different diagnostic options. Set up your endpoints for monitoring, app settings. If you want to come through and create a connection string that you want to access within your software, you can play around with the default documents, and you can also set up some custom handlers. Now, scaling is quite interesting when it comes to Azure. One of the great things is that you're, you might be starting small, or you might have a situation where your business only needs a certain amount of resource at certain times of the day or the month or the year. So Azure gives you a number of different things that you can do to set up scaling. Everything from manual timetables through to the automatic scaling. So if it detects that you're being hammered, it has got the ability to put in place this automatic elasticity for that. You can look after things such as the number of instances you want your web app to be running on, and you can set the different boundaries around it. One of the really cool things here is that you only pay for what you use in Azure. Okay? So say, for example, you've got a web app that you're not using and you shut it down. It doesn't have to be deleted. You're not paying for it. It's still there. If you're using the scaling and you, you've got, say, a pizza business, oh, funny that, and you're only using a certain large amount of traffic every night or every a particular you know, grand final time, things like that, then you can actually set up a scaling so that it's giving you the best performance possible at the times that you need that load and then scaling everything back so you're not paying for additional processor time and other resources at your quiet times.
We've got this option here for linked resources. And at this point, I can come along and actually create a link to a new resource or an existing resource. A resource can re, uh, apply to a SQL database, a MySQL database, and a storage account. Now I've got a share, and it's always interesting when I present on Microsoft Technologies, I don't make it a love fest for Microsoft. Okay, I'm going to share what our experience has been throughout things, and tell you the really good, and then the stuff that we've struggled with. So one thing that I'm not a big fan of, in fact, as of this week, detest, is MySQL in Azure. SQL databases love. All our clients that we run are running on Azure SQL. But trying to get a WordPress site to run on Azure? No, not happening. And I'm yet to find out a reason other than poor third-party servers as to why that is. And I think it's a real shame because I've got a number of clients that want those simple websites that want WordPress because it's you know one of the industry standards. Um, but when it's taking up to five, 10 seconds to serve a basic page, and you can throw it onto a third-party Linux box, and it's instant, I've got no, I'm dead in the water as far as, as, far as arguing why they should be using this infrastructure. Um, you know, if anybody out there can tell me how to install WordPress on Microsoft SQL, love to hear it. I, it used to be a possible, but it seems all the scripts have disappeared and all the supports disappeared. So for me, that's a real bugbear at the, at the moment. Um, I'd love to see WordPress back on uh, Microsoft SQL platform because, again, it would just be so productive. The other thing that you can integrate to is a storage account, so blob storage. Again, with every one of these links, it's going to step me through. If I don't have an existing resource, it's going to let me create one and step me through that process. One word of warning if you're using resources in the Australian data centers, there are still some things that aren't available. Now, because you only pay for data out of the center, you've got to be careful that when you set up multiple resources, you're not setting things up across data centers because otherwise you're being charged for that data in between the center. It's best to set everything up on the same box or the same um, region and subscription. So when you start looking at some of these things in more depth, just make sure, if you're, especially if you're heading into some of the more quirky things like logic apps and um, I was going to say mobile services, but I think that's migrated now, as to what you actually make sure that it's available in Australia before you go and set up all the other resources and go, I want to link this one, and it doesn't work. The other thing, of course, is latency across data centers. Yes? No, but I'm thinking somebody might do that as a blog post. Oh, there is a list? Excellent. So. Um, now, having said all that, I mean, I mentioned the Queensland government before. There are 250 reviewers running around Queensland right now with their tablets, hooking into Azure SQL database um, via a WCF backend. So it's not even a web API, it's WCF. They do their review of childcare centers, they go back to their desks, they use a desktop WinForms application to create a very uh, complex report that goes to a national governing body, and all that is managed quite happily on Azure at a cost of less than $300 a month. Now, even the government couldn't believe that we could come in at a servicing cost of that. Okay, so it's. I can't um, emphasize enough 
as to the, some of the power that this stuff provides. It is really, really cool. Okay, so we've seen how we can set up a website. If we wanted to create a virtual machine, we're gonna go through pretty much the same process. We're gonna select the quick create button. And from here, we could create a machine, picking a, an image from a list. Interesting, depending on what subscriptions you have. Um, I'm running my MSDN license on this subscription, and I've got more VMs available than a standard subscription. Uh, we found this out in one of the dev camps that we did. But you get to choose the size of the machine you want. And again, you pay for what you use. So don't sort of jump down to the G range or the gigantic range. You're thinking, oh, I need a 32 core, 444 gig of RAM machine, because that sounds really cool if you don't need it, because you will end up with a fairly sizable invoice. The other thing you can do here when it comes to virtual machines is you get to select an image from a, a set of pre-built ones. One of the really powerful things I think that Microsoft have done, and I might just jump back to the slides for a second. Oops, play from start. Learn how to use PowerPoint. I'm running PowerPoint on Office 216 on Mac, and I absolutely love it. I just don't know how to use it. Um, let's cover a couple of quick basics. The, the Azure footprint, I mean, we're talking about 17 regions across uh, the entire world here. This next slide always blows me away. The coverage is 57, more than 57% of Fortune 500 companies using Azure, with over 300,000 active websites. Over 1 million SQL databases. Like, that's some serious infrastructure, by any means. 30 trillion, or more than 30 trillion storage objects. I mean, can we even consider what 30 trillion looks like? 300 million active directory users and more than 1.65 million developers registered with Visual Studio Online. More than 13 billion authentications a week and 3 million requests per second. So even when I spin up the simplest of websites as I did before, I just always have these little visions of Microsoft monkeys, you know, little shirts, like the one that's, yeah, Casey's wearing the back, it's like, yeah. Um, just running around data centers, changing cables, sticking DVDs in things and going, oh, I've got to get this done, I've got to get this done. And I think it's phenomenal. And certainly, I can't speak for the virtual machine side of things because you've got to maintain your own operating systems and things there. But I just love the fact that I don't have to worry about patches. I don't have to worry about security updates. I just want a website. I just want a database. I just want some blob storage and not have to worry about what goes on in the background. And then you've got things like the downtime or lack of downtime. Because even on really cheap run subscriptions, the uptime is phenomenal. So the other interesting thing is the number of people Microsoft partnered with. And this is what I was saying with the virtual machines before. There's some big names in there and names that you wouldn't normally associate just with Microsoft. I mean, we know that as of recent months, there's been a lot of talk about open source stuff, which is great. But at the same time, seeing things like Linux and other major players that would normally be considered competitors in certain markets being used up there. Talking of Microsoft, one thing I was really surprised about was the recent Apple event, where Apple presented Microsoft as the major productivity partner on the OS 10 platform. So the world's changing people. 
Quick survey, who uses a Microsoft Windows phone? You can't put your hand up twice, Casey. Um, <laughs> so a couple of you. Androids? Yeah, iPhones? <laughs> Some people voting twice. Okay, so it really is a good mix again. Tablets, who's gonna buy the new Microsoft laptop? So the question then is, is it faster than the Surface Pro 4? Because I'm confused. Do I buy the Surface Pro 4 or do I buy the Surface? Okay. So as a developer, which one should I go for? <laughs> Both of them. Sounds like most laptops I've ever owned. No, no, it, it's. So shorter flights, and it'll work. Raffle one. We, we could we could do that as a as a prize one month. Who'd like that? See how many people turn up that time. But you have to have a Dev Express sticker on the back of it. That's the only problem. Okay. Uh, we'll we'll go we'll you know see if we can get better from pizzas to some hardware. I didn't say it would be like seven. This is. <laughs> um, since 2014, Microsoft have introduced a large volume of features into the Azure platform. So how is it that it differs between other cloud providers? I mean, every other ISP is offering cloud something. And I think, as I touched on before, the, the whole way Microsoft have approached the integration. So enterprise-grade security hybrid options, so being able to do on-prem solutions, whether it be networking, backup storage, you name it, it's available through that, and the hyperscale. The consistency through the UI when it, can, when it comes to administration. Now, let's see if I can get back to my virtual machine without breaking everything, which is running on Windows. So if I wanted to deploy a virtual machine, I could choose from those options. And that includes Ubuntu or any of the Linux images as well. There's this option called mobile services, which is called something else in the new portal, but we'll pretend it's mobile services today. And the idea is that that allows you to create mobile applications without doing the heavy lifting to the back end. Now, you imagine you want to create a quick application for the company. The boss has come to you and said, hey, we've got to get this out on tablets or phones. And you go, okay. 
I mean, you're not going to be creating Angry Birds, and so you're going to need some kind of data, you're going to need some kind of interface or bus between the user and the back end. Mobile services wraps all that up into a nice little package that you don't have to worry. And the really cool thing is that regardless of the type of platform you're targeting, Azure has it covered. So, it does if you click on the right button at least. Even within the samples, Azure will let you go through and say, well, what are you targeting? Windows, iOS, Android, straight HTML, JavaScript, Xamarin, or PhoneGap. And it will create a sample application, including the tables, with the source code linked to your back end. So you don't have to be downloading some sample and going, oh, where do I have to hack to make it work? The sample that you download is ready for you to use. Now, who's into mobile development? Three of you? Ah, it's worth covering anyway. And live apps that you've got out there? Or just starting to play? And what are, what are you developing in? PhoneGap? Xamarin? Okay. Native for all three. Man after my own heart. Um, yeah, I, I love my mobile development and I do a lot in PhoneGap and DevExtreme, extra plug. I do a lot in Xamarin. I've been through the, the whole Xamarin University, but my favorite is native. Um, you just can't seem to get past it. So, But again, it's just one of those things where the infrastructure's got things in place. Now, I'm not gonna stand here and go through every one of these options right now. As you can see, there's a lot. And there's stuff in here that even after the three years that I've been working with Azure, that I've never clicked on. I've never needed to. It's not that, well, some of them scare me, but the, it's just not a requirement. So what else has Azure been able to deliver? If I press the play from current slide this time, and skip through. Full open source support. I talked a little bit before about the government compliance and things, but there's a big push for trust through transparency. And of course, Microsoft also have to answer to a lot of big names around the world as far as that compliance. Azure services, they're too small to see. We're gonna go back and do the demo in a second. So, where's the virtual machine? Um, the, the, slide I'm trying to go, the slide I'm trying to get to Maybe somebody could offer me some PowerPoint training later on. Who's using Visual Studio Online? All of it, build, test, deploy. Wow. No issues with source control issue. Oh, I've got to spend some time with you. I, I, I Sorry? I <laughs> That's a good training course, isn't it? Um, I mean, some of this stuff's really straightforward. Websites, SQL databases, blob storage, mobile services, the stuff that we might be into every day of the week. But for example, Azure also offers things like media streaming. And you probably can't read that there, I'm having trouble here. But one of the, one of the things that was streamed had over 2.1 million concurrent HD viewers running through the Azure services. But that's some, again, pretty impressive back-end architecture. There's a whole internet of things. I mean, there's a, a whole month's worth of presentations just on that. Azure Data Factory, Azure Analytics, uh, the Service Fabric. They, I think I might have passed it. There was one here that when Titanfall was first released, 
it was hosted on Azure Virtual Machines. And it was something incredible like 200,000 Azure Virtual Machines running the Titanfall infrastructure and, and service. It's just 200,000. Who'd like to sit here and get 200,000 VMs up and running? Because you know, even with PowerShell, I don't think I'd be interested. So we're talking about a really powerful backend. How does that translate when it comes to building real-world applications? We've seen how quickly we could create a new database, and it's the same for any one of those things as I stepped through. If I create a mobile service, it's actually going to spin up an instance of SQL in the back end, and things like the notification hub, service hub. It's doing things that save me time. Now, Visual Studio 2015, which everybody here is running, right? Anybody not running it? For reasons other than company said no? No? Oh, it's amazing. There's a lot of new stuff inside templating. If I come through and just say I want to create a new project, and I want an ASP.NET web application. If anybody from Microsoft's listening, can we sort this out? Because it's really annoying. Where you've got to create re-entering your credentials. Leave everything as default. And up comes the template selection. Now at this point, I'm going to do web forms. And all the MVC guys go, oh. web forms. But straight away, I can incorporate MVC and web API into the one project. That's really cool. Over here on the right, we've got the ability of actually creating this website straight into a cloud hosting option. In other words, I won't have to do anything else in order to deploy this website. Now, I'm not a fan of the voodoo black magic that goes on behind the scenes, so I'm going to take that off. I'm just going to create a quick web app. When I was inside the portal before, we created it on this browser. No. This browser, Edge, move, Adelaide test, create web app, get confused between my subscriptions. Once this is created and I showed you, yeah, back to here my Adelaide test. From dashboard, I can right click and download publishing profile. Save. We've now got this vanilla app that's been building in the background. Everybody's familiar with that. If I run it locally, everything's cool. But what's actually involved if I want to deploy that out to the cloud? Well, I could just come along, right click and say publish. Here, I can come along and say I want to import my profile. I just happen to pick up the one that I downloaded before. Step through. And publish. Now, I'm going to do that, but a couple of quick notes. If you're using this option to publish an application to Azure, always remove this option that says remove additional files. Because if there's any other file sitting on your website after you first publish, it will be removed. And not everybody has good backup practices. And all of a sudden, they're on the phone saying, or the client saying, 
that file, that config file, that image file, something's gone wrong, it's usually that that's to blame. But I'm just going to hit publish, and after a couple of seconds, again, depending on internet speed in Adelaide tonight, everything's going to get packaged, it's going to get pushed up, and then switched out to my live website. At this point, there's also the fact that you can use staging websites. You can actually have it so that you can publish your website and roll back to the last good known website if something goes completely screwy, which is really nice. You don't have to be scrambling around for that last good copy that you took before you published, because everybody does that. Who's using automated build and testing tools? Or build tools, start with? The same three people. <laughs> testing tools, who writes unit tests? For everything, who tests the UI? Who's running UI testing tools? And what are you using, sir? Wrong answer. <laughs> Test Cafe from DevExpress. Um, it's, it's an interesting one. So often we don't run visual tests. We deploy a website and we don't go through this UI testing process because in the past it has been too hard. Given the fact that we're buying everybody pizzas tonight, again, Test Cafe from DevExpress. So here we've got anybody with a device out there hits that Adelaide test or ADL test on azurewebsites.net and you will see a beautiful mobile version rendered on your device. Now, there was no code, I didn't have to do anything hard, create the website. I did it the hard well, I did it the hard way because I manually brought my publishing profile in, but as far as getting to the nitty-gritty, that's as difficult as it should be. Any questions yet? Where's the pizza? Where's the beer? You said they're a lively bunch. You lied. No, no questions. Who's actually tried this before, other than the usual three people that keep sticking their hand up? <laughs> yeah? Who has a need for something like this? At least more than three, because otherwise it's like, what are you doing at an Azure Explained evening? Okay. If I wanted to actually hook up a database to that, we've seen the linked resource part of it. So what I want to do is take you through a very quick example. I'm going to use an existing database that's got some data in it. I'm just going to bring up the default page. Jump into source and get rid of all that. I'm not going to do anything too fancy. Oh. Should not miss anything. Pick up a grid, and you get an extra chance in the draw if you tell me what component I'm going to use. Everybody shouts DevExpress grid control, and we've added some items here. So right now we know that there is. A database on the Azure subscription. I'm going to hook up this data source. Wait for the wizard. DS test. You've done a session on Rosalind already, haven't you? That was some cool stuff coming out. Anybody going to write any Rosalind add-ons or Visual Studio? How do you get the time to do all this stuff? It's a good time for him to mention the fact that DevExpress have Code Rush for Roslyn available now too. <laughs> Did you upgrade to the latest release? I have. I'm still using 
Okay, oops, here's a connection string I made earlier. Look, when you create a database server on Azure, if you're using the original portal, then you get this random server name that gets generated. And it's always been a bit of a pain. So the good thing is with the preview portal, and I'm not sure, any idea when that's gonna not be preview? Sorry? When they actually catch up on features. <laughs> uh, at the back? <laughs> when they catch up on features. I'd love to see a SQL database editor that's not written in Silverlight. Because I can't run it on certain devices. So, database server name, my username. See if I can remember my password. This is really hard to type with one hand, by the way. Especially when it's muscle memory kicking in. And then I get to select from one of the databases on that server. Hopefully, yay. Click OK. See, I'm not used to having somebody of such senior authority sitting at the back. I normally do presentations with Esther and she just takes all the jokes, but I'm like nervous up here tonight, so. Sorry? <laughs> okay. Here we're going to just save the connection string. I'm just gonna quickly bind some data so that we can have a look. All I want to do here is just show you really how easy it is to come through, bind some data with full insert, update, delete functionality um, to a SQL Azure database. Add that to my web page. And if I publish that, I'm just gonna run it local for speed. That is just so we're not waiting for all the DLLs to get published. Then we're gonna be seeing some data, hopefully, and not the yellow screen of death take place. Maybe. Yay. So there we've got a grid with all its functionality, page and controls, and I can add in the add, update, edit functionality in there. And that's reading that data straight from an Azure SQL database. So as far as creating really quick, simple, data-centric applications, whether it's dashboarding, spreadsheeting, word processing, etc., I'm a big fan of using the DX tools, obviously, and Azure for speed. I don't have to mess around configuring other things. The other really cool thing is inter interfacing or interacting with images and other files inside blob storage. Because if I'm gonna build a simple database that looks after, I don't know, say an insurance list, I'm gonna have my basic data that sits in a SQL table, but I'm not gonna be putting my image in the SQL table, am I? Because that would be bad. All right, we don't store images in SQL databases. Well, we shouldn't. So instead what I'd do is create a blob storage account Coming down to my storage option. You can guess it, I'm gonna start by removing this, but I'm gonna start by hitting the new button. I wanna do quick create, and again, I get to give it 
a URL to so ADL test and this time it's going to be at core.windows.net again I get to pick the location so I'm going to want pretty sure I chose Southeast last time but go through select the location subscription and then it will go off and create the account now think about Azure SQL storage as a file system in the cloud it strictly is not quite that because folders don't really exist they become part of the file name but in essence and if we were to run something like Azure management we'll just jump in and have a look at a couple that we've got up there already um, you can see that with the use of some third-party tools I'm trying to think of one that would be yeah, blob containers for this one and on the right we can see that there are files sitting in there as if you're looking at a normal file manager and what's really really cool here is to interact with that to actually upload if I was doing it inside my grid control a couple of lines of code would allow me to push a file into blob storage okay so this is a snippet from a, a simple application we were playing around with which allows you to add a photo to a simple database and in, inside the database itself it stores the image name but then creates the blob storage item at the same time and there's well after adding the, the includes there's half a dozen line of code one big thing that we learned is actually setting this server timeout because if you're not sure what size files you're working with you are going to get um, some unfavorable results if you get a timeout happening so we tend to set it to about 30 minutes here in the naming convention you can see that we call this get container reference with the word kits as a bit of a subfolder but that purely becomes part of the file name that happens um, but it's certainly not difficult to work with questions yet david There's a lot of different ways to handle security on blob storage. You can do uh, self-destructing or timeouts on files. Um, there's, you can mark things as bound to Active Directory. I'm looking here for some assistance from the back. Yeah. Now, one, one of the other things as well, if you're in, in the instance that we would be maybe storing some of those report files and things in blob storage, and we want to give access to, so just say public access because it's happening on a, a web page or we want people to download. One of the things that we found is utilizing GUIDs when it comes through the query strings so that we don't actually store a file name that is easily identifiable. Um, on an image file so we, when we write the record or the file into blob storage the file name becomes a GUID 
and then we're referencing that elsewhere. So people can't come along and go oh, invoice123.pdf just because that's you know their invoice number. Then smart people sit there fiddling going, oh, we want invoice number. Let's see who 126 is. So there's lots of things to think about when it comes to securing the data in that sense, um, particularly in public-facing websites. Yes, but it, it, so think about the use case for each thing that you might be doing. So if, if for example, you're storing um, lots of photos that you're just publishing on your website, um, you might, you're not going to just go with some standard like a, a straight alphanumeric naming system on that, even though there might be public access. If you've got stuff that you need security around, then yes, you're going to lock that down, either with the timing or with some of the stuff that has been mentioned before. Container, so you can do it on on the actual container. So if I go back to um, not that this one here, when you create the container, you've got access policies uh, in place. You've got um, leasing. I think what else? Let me show you here. I'll pop a link as to some of the really cool documentation uh, on best case management. Um, what have you done with some of the stuff you've done with blob storage? Anything else you want to add? No. All right. Is there any specific part of Azure that people want to have a chat about? Got a question about VMs. How does it present itself to the end user? Is it like an icon? You stick it straight into the VM, or? You've got remote desktop access to once you've spun up your VM, so effectively you're going to have an RDP icon for them to log into. Uh, one really cool thing with VMs is that the licensing is built into your pricing. So it's not a matter of trying to think of, oh, how many licenses do I need? That's all catered for in the price. But as far as accessing the VM, um, do you have any external clients that you're running on your VMs, or is it just all your own stuff at the moment? Okay, but you just run it via RDP, yeah. Sorry? Hey, good. Um, I have a question, two questions. Um, do, you, do you mind bringing up the uh, pricing calculator for Absolutely. I mind, yes. You do mind, okay. <laughs> now I'll bring that up. Let's do a quick Bing search. Edge, talk to me, Edge. For moments like these, we have other browsers, like Internet Explorer. Azure Pricing Calc. You can't ask hard questions about this, though, because otherwise I've got to defer it. <laughs> Sorry, 
So. And your question is? <laughs> what's, the, what's the reason? You know, why would I, the pay tier comes up at like $90, $70 a month or something uh, versus the free tier. Why would, I, why would I go there? Okay, so I mean, the only time that I'd be using the free tier is when I'm doing quick prototypes. Um, the, the sharing on that service means that you're not guaranteed to get any performance at all. Like, not you get no performance, but you're not, you don't know who else you've shared with. Um, again, feel free to jump in, Andrew. But as to why they've got 0.5 and 1, that's a question that I'm happy to ask the powers that be uh, at Microsoft. Um, one of the things that I've got to say, in all the time I've been using this, I've not really had to worry too much about whether I've got half a gig, a gig, one and a half. Like, I'm not seeing that much difference in performance with the users we've got. So, and this is one of the things I struggle to explain, as strange as that sounds, when it comes to, you know, what size virtual machine should I have, or what size, what should I be running? Um, there is, I've not found any, any de uh, definitive source of this is exactly what you should be doing. Um, my theory is if you don't need to be paying for it right now, keep it on free. And then when you need to scale it up, yeah? Absolutely. So you've got. And on free, there are other limits as well. You start getting too many. If you say you publish a file onto your free website and you start getting hit that much, then there are limits as to your downloads that are included and your site will be stopped at that point. Unless you're moving on to a paid plan. Right. So you start effectively, uh, when you say stop, you mean the particular or the whole site? No, the whole site. If it if it's not if, if it has a spending limit on it, e.g. free, and you try and bust those limits, um, then Microsoft have got the things in place that say no.
Yeah, it, it's very hard to compare some of the services with other third-party vendors. Um, I know that with one of our larger clients, we moved them away from discountasp.net straight onto Azure the minute it was available and found a huge drop in costs and an increase in performance. And because every other, every other month we were finding we had to add more storage to the SQL database option that we had with them and it was becoming a bit of a pain. One of the things with Azure, I've always found that, as, as we said before, the limits are quite generous. Um, as to the DTUs, as to even the instance counts on websites, really it's going to come down to your testing because every instance is going to be different. We've got over 250 users hammering the web services for the Department of Education and I'm running it on a maximum of two instances. I'm running a one gig SQL database in the back, back end and we've had no complaints of performance. Now, not only are they running around the countryside with iPads hitting it every day and we're talking hundreds of, you know, of hits per user per day, then they get back to the desktop and hit the web service again with their WinForms application. Then they're hitting blob storage when they're publishing their reports. And we've not had anybody come back and say, this is unusable, it's too slow. So we do monitor, and it does come down to costs, and that's where that scaling model comes in. So you know, don't just think, oh, I've got five instances available, I've got a 250 gig database available, let's just do it, because you will then be paying for that. On that same score, we had a, a situation recently, we did an internal audit, and one of the devs had set up a, a test account um, on the subscription for the government. And the idea was that they were just running it for some user acceptance testing on new features. All of a sudden, the costs on that site doubled because they just replicated what was in production. And even though nobody was hitting it at all, we were paying for the CPU usage, and so the bill doubled, and we're going, well, they can't be doubling the amount of usage. It's just not possible. We would I'd be happy if it was a steady climb, but to have this big spike in the bill. And so what we found was, you know, that smart dev had gone, oh yeah, we'll just replicate it. And we can use it for testing, and then left it. So, you know, uh, if you at that point, there's no point paying for a 250 gig 10 DTU database, and then finding that you're paying for nothing because it's not in use. Yes. So the question for those that didn't hear it, there's a, a 2008 data server, Windows ser Windows server, um, yep, with one gig, yep, for fifty dollars a month. Okay, so the question is, how can Azure beat that in pricing? That's a great question. Let's have a look what the calculator would say. They keep changing things too. One of the fun things presenting in Azure is wondering what's going to change when you jump into the portal the next time. Um, and that's you know, really, really cool. So we want to add a virtual machine. And it doesn't, shouldn't really matter where it's based, but let's just go Sydney. It's a Windows box. And we'll go basic tier, one core. So that would be an A, 
we have to go to 1.75 so there's no one gig option there so the question first question I'd ask would be will 0.75 gig so 0.75 is going to be $22 a month. What I'm not sure I understand the what is on the A0. Andrew, any idea? What what's yeah? What CPU is on the A0? Okay, we're finding out. Who invited this man along? He needs a beer at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. It certainly, um, it certainly comes down to making sure that you're choosing the right options for the right job though. And again, I don't know, whenever I look at my development machine, I'm always thinking bigger is best. I want to go all out for everything. But then when you start throwing some big numbers through this, you end up with some big calculations. One mistake that I made very early on was with the Azure storage calculator. And to start with, I'm thinking, oh, you know, stick the little slider about halfway along, so, you know, and the price was blowing out on the calculator. It freaked me out. I'm thinking, we can't possibly afford to be paying this much for storage. It seems ridiculous. Yeah, I was trying to buy 500 terabytes a month. Yeah. And I just need to move the little indicator a, a, a smidge, and I was at five gig, and it was costing, you know, pennies. So Andrew will come back to us with an answer on that. His fingers are furiously working. Other questions while you start eating your pizza? Look at that. One call? Yeah, it's all the So, but well, one of the things here. Any question that either I fail to answer or that's not seemingly that obvious, sign up for a free account, spin one up, give it a try. You've got nothing to lose. Sorry? Yeah. So boot one up and then. And I think that, that's important to think about with any application you build, and particularly when you start heading down the mobile, the mobile route, when you're talking to cloud services. Um, we've, we've just been through a situation this last couple of weeks where a, a company, a startup company in Brisbane, been through BizSpark, been through some of the uh, venture capitalists or angel investment, and they've got a great concept, and they use that money for outsourcing to an overseas company. What they've ended up with after spending more than 
is something short of a high school project and they're supposed to go to market with it. We're talking things like uh, the website's built around Bootstrap, jQuery. So as soon as we looked at the page source, because they were complaining about SEO errors and things like that, we found that, you know, let's add a script tag to load Bootstrap before we load jQuery and wonder why we get errors. Um, scripts outside HTML tags. So it actually, you know, blocks a code outside the ending HTML tag and wondering why it's not working. It is just horrific to think about the architecture that's gone into this website and it's been done cheaply you know, overseas and you think, why? So just because machines are getting faster or we've got all this power, we can't, go, we can't stop thinking about the basics. You know, don't bloat your databases. Don't bloat your code. Um, it, the more and more developers that come into the industry that are green, that don't have a mentor to take them through those basics, I mean, looking at the average age around the table. You know, we've been through a lot of a lot of changes in the industries over the years, haven't we? So imagine trying to write, some of the stuff we get away with these days, we could never have done 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And all that happens is it creates this bad taste for these consumers or these potential clients. So architecture is definitely a big thing. And as Andrew pointed out, make sure you're actually writing code. Don't just think because you come from a WinForms background, that all of a sudden you can just jump straight into cloud development because it does look that easy. You've got to be making sure you're implementing a lot of the infrastructure. Any other? Look, you're all smiling now. You've got food. Yes, Andrew. I found that that data center's services for you as well. Okay. Hang on. E and I can't type with one hand. Yes? Yep. Regions. Is there a bit.ly link for that? Okay, excellent. So, what we're seeing here is that earlier point I made about the fact that some things are missing. Oh, I've gone to sleep now. Some things are missing from some data centers. Um, and interestingly, if you're looking to deploy to data centers that are outside Australia, don't just think that Southeast Asia is going to be the fastest. It's not based on geolocation. Do some serious testing, run some ping tests, run, test everything and then test it again. Because you might find that some of you get better responses out of data centers you'd never have thought of. Keep all your resources in the same data center, that way you're not paying for the uh, ingress. Um, as far as features, so the virtual machine sets, the G series is not yet available, but I did hear rumors that hopefully soon. Um, what else have we got here? Remote app. Anybody published anything with remote app? I'm wanting to do something with that, but then venture that you have. Easy enough to do. What, what's the min minimum number of users you'd be recommending to go down that path? Uh, uh, minimum of yeah. Oh, so would it be? I suppose the question really is: Is it financially viable for a company with ten employees to be looking at remote app? <laughs> Where's Esther when you need her? <laughs> well, for the, the answer to that question, you need to come along tomorrow night to the uh, meetup.
So yeah, this quick, this quick chart certainly shows in a nice way what is available across what region or what data center. Pizza filled questions now? Yeah. The portal that you're showing us with the little scripts down the left hand side. Yes. No, that's the that's the legacy. That's what we call the live portal at the moment. The preview portal. Sorry, I should have switched to this before. Yeah. Um it's growing on me. It's taken twelve months and a lot of swearing and carrying on, but it is growing on me. I just find it a little frustrating when you'll go in and create something in here and it's not available in legacy. So you just got to watch some of those things and again just test and think about what you're wanting to do. What are the interesting things I'm finding with people switching to Azure? It's one of those tip you, dip your toe in the water and just see how it feels type things for a lot of people. And I know that a number of banks are looking at implementing the Azure infrastructures for the back end of what they're doing and Frankly, it scares me the amount of data they're pushing around. So when you, for me, a half a million record set is, is sizable for them. They're talking 10 times that as just a standard transaction. So it's like, oh, okay. How are we going? Pizza Slang, yes, Andrew. Certainly the people that we've spoken to find that the costings around Azure is not something that holds them back from using the services. Um, pay for what you use. There are, there's a great number of hands-on labs for running tests around some of these things. Um, I know that when it comes to implementing the VPNs or uh, even some of the, the basic virtualization, there's some you know, steps that take you through an hour, two hours worth of testing or trialing and then you virtual machines spin one up RDP into it have a play around the key is to shut it down if you're not using it delete it if you're not using it if you don't want it there is a, a I'd say more recent it's been there for a little while now but when you delete a SQL database it stays around it does warn you that hey you're deleting it but then you get that oh crap moment and you can go into recently deleted and quickly restore it which is nice um, the other thing that I'll mention is Azure support. So from a technical nature, they are phenomenal. Um, from a billing nature, not so much. Um, it's taken eight weeks for me to get something resolved. And my biggest fear was that in that eight weeks that subscription would stop. It didn't, which was great, but just banging my head against the desk to get it resolved. Things that are mission critical, response time is just amazing. So. Um, one thing to watch is if you're trying to move subscriptions, so you might say oh, I've got something in one data center, I want to move it to another. 
it's not there's no magic fix you can't just ring up the guys and say hey can you change a few numbers for me you really need to think about a proper migration backup restore and migrate your URLs and things like that in a proper time uh, we did that with the government website over one weekend when we went from Southeast Asia to Australia really easy but you need to think about it other things such as migrating legacy databases from your on-prem SQL server up to Azure uh, for most cases straightforward but it there are some small quirks is quirks or yeah, quirks and so if I have a, a database sitting inside a local instance let's just find that it's certainly not a difficult process but if you've got some extra secure um, custom security policies or certain uh, there's a couple of data types that don't migrate very nicely so if I want to take this local database I can simply come through and go tasks export data to application that's going to create what's known as a backpack file I get to nominate whether I want to store it inside a blob storage account or just on my local hard drive I'll just quickly store it here give it some name TTT and it would go through and export that backpack file so it's not a traditional backup and restore but what will happen this process will go through and make sure that everything about that database structure is exportable as a data tier application so it's already doing a lot of pre-checks so I don't have to waste time here once it is exported then I'm going to re 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 replicate that process doing the import data tier inside my Azure database and again depending on the size of the database it can just zoom through other times you might get some scripting errors simply test your on-prem database to see if you're going to have to make any changes there's other tools out there such as the Redgate tools SQL backer uh, SQL schema compare and SQL data compare absolutely invaluable if you're doing go live so making sure that there's no last-minute script changes and that all your data is migrated nicely quite literally press a button and again from my experience and I understand that the stuff we've played with might be small scale to some of the stuff you guys do but those tools have saved hours of time now this is not necessarily a, a large database but you can see it does take a while but it's certainly easier than trying to write conversion code because everybody knows 80% of a new project is converting the old legacy data into the new schema and then finding out you missed something um, mobile services use SQL in the back end and simply create a new schema so if you've got a mobile service called David running out of things to think of then instead of it being DBO in the SQL database the schema name will be David so with a few quirks you can actually hook a, a new mobile service into an existing SQL database which can be really quite handy as well depending on what you're wanting to do and there's a couple of papers around that cover that more questions So the MySQL stuff at the moment is only provided that I'm aware of by one company and being a third party they control the pricing. So you get your free 10 megabyte or 100 megabyte MySQL database that you can get with your Azure subscription and 
from there they start charging. The problem that I have, and I said this at the outset, is even if you're using a paid subscription and the pricing is, I think is ridiculous for the MySQL stuff, the performance is diabolical. I wouldn't be recommending it for anybody to use. Correct. Um, the um, yeah, I, I and I don't know why. I, I don't know. I don't understand why Microsoft haven't done anything about it, or why some other third parties haven't come in and said, "Hey, we can provide this service better." But of course, you're still back to having data inside other data centers. You've got that um, latency issue if they're not in the same data center. The issue, you can, the issue that, that we were running into is we wanted to run WordPress inside an existing website, so just to provide like a, a good quick wiki for them to set up, and yeah, so, um, you know, cross policy or crossover policies, all those sorts of things, cores start jumping in saying, no, you can't do that, it's in a different data center. I mean, look, we had the, we, we did a test in this last week where we bought a level entry crazy domains domain through WordPress on it, and it was blistering fast. The same WordPress database hosted on ClearDB, I think it is, was just woeful. And then I started doing research as to what would be a really good .NET blog engine to build into the website. And that opens up another whole can of worms, doesn't it? Because the good ones have seem to yeah, last the last commit was 2013 and so then you start trying to migrate that don't get me started on NuGet and uh, upgrading and then entity framework headaches and uh, yes uh, this gentleman had a question no he's decided pizza is more important okay um, one, one question I did have is, as, I mean, as sponsors, we're paying for the pizza tonight, so I hope it's worth it. It's a nice pizza. Best in Adelaide, I heard. Um, we also decided, well, I decided, I just hope management are going to back me. Ah, they will. In that we're going to give away a DevExpress ASP.NET subscription tonight. So since tonight's all about Azure, we thought we'd keep it web-based. So that covers everything from web forms, to MVC, all our MVC extensions, the reporting tools, etc. So when we do the prizes, which will be shortly, then the, somebody can have an opportunity to win that. Uh, so I hope somebody's excited. Yeah, then I'll shout out at once. Which is good because then you get to see what happens. Oh, look, I'm quite happy with errors. So we've got an authentication type, and this is typical of why extraction fails, and it's to do with security. Um, this database actually has some custom security settings in there, which Azure just doesn't like. And I've said it, whenever I get a SQL question I can't answer, I go to Greg Lowe. For me, he's just, he's up there on a pedestal as the SQL guru of the world. And it's one of those things where even in a session we did in Brisbane, I think maybe th over three years ago, where I tried to migrate a SQL database and the error that was coming up, he was just threw his hands up and walked away. He's like, you're on your own, Paul. Work it out. Um, but in this instance, I mean, if it's security, I'm just going to delete that user and migrate my database and then work out what I need to do at the other end. 
It is good because in cases where you've been sloppy, not that you guys would ever be sloppy with your database work, but if you've been sloppy, this is going to stop certain things being migrated incorrectly up to Azure SQL. And it's certainly getting better. When I first started with Azure, we only had table storage. And man, that was interesting. So, yeah. Last question. As seen on TV. Yes, as seen on the TV and the Ashley Madison design. He's scared me every time I see him. Yes, he does. In fact, you should subscribe to the YouTube video because he's got everything you ever want to know about anything. But this world's greatest Azure demo is an hour and a day watch. And the best thing about Troy Hunt is he's moving to the Gold Coast. I'm having lunch with him soon. So we stole him. There was a question then. Yes. So, one of the key differences between the Test Cafe application and things like Selenium, we will work across any browser, any platform. All the tests end up as JavaScript, so you can then just edit them. And the thing that you want with tests is obviously things to pass. So you can run your test on any any device. You could be, oh yeah, here's my website. I want to run the test on a an iPad, Surface Pro, whatever you want. So as to how brittle they are, um, if somebody goes and changes some markup, the test is simply going to fail, but it will still run. Um, the beauty when you write your tests is that you get to do things like take a snapshot as to what was on screen at the time of the failure, write back to a log what was happening at the time of the failure. So the people that have used Test Cafe that I've talked to absolutely love it. Um, when it comes to my business, I don't use functional web testing. My, my understanding is, isn't that what customers for? I employ the Microsoft philosophy. <laughs> Sorry, Andrew. So but yeah, it's and again, if if it's something that has sparked even the smallest amount of interest, then jump in and have a look. Um, free download, no question. You know, there's no harm. You get full support from the team during your downloads, but during that free trial, and you've got access to me anyway because they are 18 hours behind. So if there's a problem or you've got questions, you can Skype me, email me, whatever. Very very quickly. Um, anybody working in mobile environments that is using PhoneGap or looking to move into mobile development? I cannot type with one hand. They're extreme. Um, built on top of the PhoneGap framework, if you want to target multiple platforms and yet have your application looking and feeling like a native app. Now if you're using Xamarin, Xamarin compiled to a native application. We don't do that. We work with phone gaps, so we're on top of uh, on top of that. Well, look, my my Telstra might have run out.
Here we go. The the beauty with DevXtream is purely the fact that you end up with an application that looks and feels native. You run it on a Windows phone, it looks and feels like you wrote it for Windows phone. We emulate the entire navigation system, the alerts, the pop-ups, the toast. Same for Android, same for iOS. Yet you write it as HTML JavaScript. We take care of all the skinning and of course all the widgets that we've got. Built into Visual Studio, so you've got tooling, you've got the ability to deploy to all of the app stores directly out of Visual Studio. No Mac required for iOS, no Mac required at all. I know PhoneGap have the, the build server, they offer a service, but you can do it straight on your device. Testing your application, you don't need to deploy it to the device. We have an app that you can download from the App Store, simply scan the QR code of your simulator, and your app is downloaded to your phone to test, or your tablet to test, and that's on iOS and Android. Okay, so anybody working into direct HTML JavaScript, it's certainly worth a look as well. I'm now going to get kicked off stage. So. Thank you, everybody. Anyway, hope you enjoyed the pizza. Thank you very much, Paul. Uh, I've noticed you found the pizza one already, which is good. Uh, I think everyone was worried that there's two pizzas there and there's a four and things. I think there is another group that's going to be coming into the room sometime, so don't worry about them. That's just someone else. Um,